Couchsurfing has been known as one of the largest, probably the largest trust experiments in the history of the world. And I know you're propelling that into Upstock, into your future ventures. What was it like, the very first couch that you surfed on? I ended up hanging out with this really cool person. She was an R&B singer, and she had friends. Apparently, they're all models. I didn't find out until I got there. And <laughs> uh, followed her around, just like with eyes, just like you know like doe eyes just huge eyes like whoa i'm going i'm i'm cool like i'm i'm hanging out with the cool people and they're taking me around Reykjavik and they should be these vip after places and he said how is it like uh, completely mind heart and soul blowing it just completely changed me we stand today the business method the business with method. the shadow. The business method. The business method podcast. The business method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs' systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, the podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that produce over a million dollars and annual revenue and now we're interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business and influence income results economies and cultures there's a growing number of people building these caliber of businesses like this and we're going to figure out what it takes to make this happen now let's jump in today's show the business method Imagine being a young man hacking into the University of Iceland's directory to meet new people and trying to find a couch to crash on for a free place to stay. Then turning that concept into a 20 million person platform that changed the way that people travel. Casey Fenton is that young man and the platform he built is called Couchsurfing. Casey joins us on the podcast today for a really exciting chat. These days, Casey has built a new business called Upstock that is modernizing an antiquated stock option system that allows team members and employees to earn equity instantly without an undue cash burden on the company. He got this idea from his days at Couchsurfing when he didn't have the ability to give his team and employees a shared part of the company. This frustrated him and it created a passion that started Upstock and the drive to help businesses help themselves. Today, we dive into Casey's passion about Upstock, but also chat about the book on human egos that Casey is writing. He has another mission to help people understand their egos better and how we can use them for good. Of course, we also discuss about the couch surfing story and how it led Casey on a wild ride of world travel, startups, venture capitalists, challenges with the U.S. taxation system, helping businesses grow and changing the way people travel all around the world. Ladies and gentlemen, Casey Fenton. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Listeners, welcome back to the podcast. We're really excited to have you, and we're excited to introduce today's guest, Casey Fenton, the founder of Upstock and Couchsurfing, which many of you have probably used or at least know about. I know I used it many times in my life. And so first off, we want to say hello, Casey. How are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you both uh, for having me. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, what a what an exciting opportunity to um, be one of the um, speakers on your show. You had 
so many podcasts with so many incredible people. Uh, yeah, just excited to see where this goes today. Well, you fit right in with the rest of them, that's for sure. Um, we have a lot that we want to talk to you about, and uh, we're going to talk about your new projects that are going on, and of course, touch a bit on, on uh, couch surfing as well. But before we start, um, I have to ask you a question, and this kind of surprised me, but I thought it was really cool when I... When I when I stalked you online, I found out about this. All right, uh, okay. You, you actually really really did climb the Great Pyramids in Egypt, right? This is true. I'm I am not sure it, how loudly I should say that because I was just recently <laughs> asked to go and speak at a conference in Egypt. But I've recently found out that if you've done this, they will not let you in the country or they banish you forever or something. And oh, wow. I was young and young and dumb. Um, and uh, his first night, first day in Cairo is like, there are no tourists there. And, uh, they're basically said, I, I, I got, I, you know, sorry, like, where should I start? Such a crazy story. (laughs) Uh, but I don't know how much I should go into on this talk, but basically it was because of hanging out with locals and then locals, um, me and my roommate, we kind of asked locals, is it possible? And one thing led to another and suddenly we're like, you know, um, we're up on the pyramid plateau and our friend is just yelling, run, run, and run uh, up the pyramid as fast as you can. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> there I am, super shy kid. Um, you're one of the first times I'm ever traveling uh, far and we made friends with this guy and there was no tourists in the country. It was like empty. There were a bunch of tourists that were murdered. So the State Department said, don't go there. Of course, I was there. Uh, and because it was so empty, I think, it allowed us to make good, you know, friends and uh, wow, the friend friendship with locals really, really just it was one of the first experiences that showed me that if you have um, you know this magic with locals and this local kind of backstage path to the world, amazing things can happen. But it's really hard to know who you can trust. That's really what it is. It's like it's it's not enough to, um, I guess it's not it's not enough to just be out there wandering around. It's like there's opportunities everywhere around us in life for risks or, or opportunities that we can take, but we just don't know which ones we can take. And in this case, I got really lucky. I trusted this guy who said, meet me in a dark alley at 4 a.m. <laughs> and I could have said, okay, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe that'll be the last thing I remember, or maybe I'll always wonder what would have happened, but I got lucky this time, and I trusted my intuition, intuition and instincts. And I uh, went for it, and it turned out to be you know, one of those stories I'll remember forever. I, I, uh, it was a for, for, very formative in starting couchsurfing. I remember the last time I met a person in a dark alley. It didn't turn out so well. How about you, Noah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a story for another podcast. Yes, yes, yes. But this, I'm guessing this is something you probably don't recommend other people go and seek and do. Casey, right? Absolutely. I would definitely never recommend that. Um, obviously, like I said, young and dumb. I just, I don't know what, I don't know how it happened. Uh, it was, we were just talking with this guy, his local, we befriended him, we were hanging out with his family, and we were smoking hookah with the granddads. It was like a, a wedding kind of after party at their big house, and everybody's jumping around and singing and dancing, and we mentioned it, and he said, yeah, I know, I know of uh, this guy, this kid, his Others like Captain the Guards, we could talk to him, and then you know, just one thing leads to another, right? And suddenly, <laughs> there we are. And my, you know, sitting at the top of the pyramid, his mind blown, looking over uh, the, 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 the desert and looking over Giza. I can't believe that this is my life. Um, and 
because of other because of other 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 uh, relationships that we had with locals, we were able to actually go in the pyramid later that night, and I was able to sleep in the king sarcophagus for half an hour. Oh, all wow. the lights off. <laughs> so that was just another like mind blown. Like this is what the world's like. Wow. Okay, I I want to keep traveling. I want to keep exploring and getting, you know, get, getting to know locals. And but that was, you know, that was a few years before I started couch surfing. But it really put the seed in my mind that yeah. there's this thing of exploring the world and that this 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 is a good life. That this is an interesting life. One worth trying hard to understand. So that was in the '90s, right? Things you we right, late left. '90s. Yeah. So it's been a been a couple of decades since that things like that were possible um, in in Egypt, anyways. Anyway, we w- we want to talk about couchsurfing, but we definitely want to start off talking about your new venture, Upstock, that you have going. And uh, we just love to give you the microphone for a couple of minutes and kind of give us an introduction to the company and what you guys are up to. Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. I'm I'm just so passionate, so excited about my new company. I, I just can't even stop talking about it or, or sharing it because uh, I think it really helps the world. I, I think, I don't know, I think a lot of people that are probably listening right now are probably entrepreneurs. They're thinking about starting a company. And I certainly have, in all the companies that I started, there's this one problem that just keeps coming back to me. It happened in couchsurfing um, big time. And that is like, how do you get people to all feel like they're on the same team and working hard toward a goal? It's, to me, it's really a cooperative issue. It's a question of it's like a question of can we all cooperate and go to that same goal? In the early days of couchsurfing, um, it was easier because you know, hey, we started as a nonprofit. Hey, let's just all work work together. But we didn't have a good way to recognize people for the work that they'd done. So I kind of was felt like it was all me. It was all on my shoulders to make it work. And then as a programmer, I started programming it. But and then as I was able to get a website up and running, and then I was able to give people rec- like recognition in the couchsurfing system, like ambassadors and other people that were doing work, you give them like icons and recognition in the system. That was like a form of payment. And that was, uh, that worked very well. That really helped scale the company. Um, but we didn't have any, we didn't really have enough money to pay people. And it was a nonprofit, so we certainly couldn't give people equity. Then at one point, we, um, we had to convert from a nonprofit to a for-profit. The U.S. government, the IRS, state of New Hampshire, they were all saying, couchsurfing to us, it looks like a way to save money. In fact, um, it, maybe you should even tax people on the value they're saving while couchsurfing. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, wait a second. You want us to send people 1099 for um, their couchsurfing? What twilight zone am I in? This is crazy. Mm-hmm. So we convinced them that that wasn't the right path, and that was good. But when we, we were able to convert, uh, after they, they said there's no way forward as a nonprofit, it's, you know, if you want it to be a, a charity for cultural exchange, you would have to basically get people to agree um, to go and, and hang out with another person that you specify. So couchsurfing is doing the matchmaking, and then they write an essay after proving that they've had cultural exchange. They said, if that is your model, that works. And we said, that is not our model. Definitely <laughs> not our model. Uh, and so they, they basically said, you know, you, you're going to convert. You have to convert. So we had to, and we had to get investors. Lucky for us, we got some of the best investors out there, Benchmark, General Catalyst, Menlo Ventures, and Omidyar. Um, and one of, but one of the challenges I noticed right after we converted is, was around motivation. Um, we went from not paying our developers very much, and then we started paying them a lot uh, more. We actually got investment, of course, three or four times more. And that I think, in, in a lot, and when I talked to a lot of people, they said, well, it feels more like a job now. Um, 
And I said, okay, I, I get it. I kind of get it. We're asking more of you. I get that. But what about these stock options? I mean, here we are. We're in Silicon Valley now. We have an office here. We have a whole bunch of developers. And aren't we all on the same page now as far as equity goes, at least? And they looked at me with this really crazy look like, what, what are you crazy? What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't understand what you're talking about. And I said, well, you know, the, 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 these option dots, you find these option agreements you know, we're, we have the best lawyers, There's these, these option agreements are really good. Um, and they're just like, I don't know what that is. I, I signed some stack of documents, yes. I don't really know what it is or how it works or when I would get something. And I heard I have to like buy them later or something. This doesn't feel like alignment or this doesn't feel like, I don't know, I don't even know how to think of it. Is it, a, is it, is it a, like a, a shell game or are you just pulling a fast one on me? Like maybe I'll just never get the stock anyway. I was like, oh my God, this is, one of the big problems that I've always seen as a startup founder, but now it's just really in my face. And I'm, I'm concerned about, you know, where, where is the company going to go if we can't get people to actually believe and, and want to work every day. Work right. so hard to get uh, the, right, the right choices made. Not just any, not just treat like a job, like whatever, just get done whatever, but get the right things done. Care about each and every decision. In a you know a string of thousands of decisions that we all have to make working on the project. So I'm like, whoa. Uh, so I said, well, what if we train experiment? What if we could show people their ownership in real time? And I kind of got this idea from one of our lawyers, Steve Benuto at Oric. He gave me this idea that there is that, that that Fortune 1000s they you know spend a lot of money and time working on these better upgraded equity systems, but we, we couldn't, we didn't have access. And they were like, oh, it'll take too much time and cost way too much money. And now nah, I just forget about it. But so I took a couple of years to research this. And I said, well, what if we were just put together a spreadsheet where we could show people their ownership in real time and maybe some charts and graphs and stuff. So we did that and it blew me away. Uh, the people that I was working with and working for me started to really believe in the equity. They could see it. They could, it's like seeing is believing, I guess. That, that was the big, big takeaway there, right? So that's how Upstock got started. It worked so well, and other people asked if they could use these, these, uh, these documents and the spreadsheets. That we said, okay, well, let's productize this. So I spun it out and I, um, uh, from one of my startups, and then we uh, got an investment from Founders Fund, which is Peter Thiel's uh, PayPal Mafia uh, okay. investment fund. If, you know, if you're aware of those guys. Yeah. And girls, we say in Vanister did the investment. Amazing. She's an amazing investor in my opinion. And then we, um, we started testing and building it over the last couple of years. And now upstock.io is this place. We're just releasing our international equity docs so that you can, from all around the world, you can, you can uh, get this thing to work. It's not, it's a fortune 1000 equity docs in the back end, like top, top shelf, best equity docs in the world. Plus in the foreground, you have this motivational dashboard so you can, get the, that multi-million dollar equity plan for just like $20 per, per worker per month. Uh, and that, that's just, for me, it's a totally different world. So thank you for giving me the microphone. Uh, and <laughs> take, take it to wherever you want to go. Uh, it's great. So thank you. Thank you, Paul. To be honest with you, I think the world needs an upstock. Um, many times uh, when I set up a company and I have like employees and, and I always think, okay, how, how can I give them shares or options to buy shares or uh, in a way that's actually fair and by having right. uh, a yeah. system you know that that where where people actually based on results and not the hour 
of, of, of time that you spend on work, you can, uh, you can, yeah, much more effective and much more motivating. Yeah. I'm, right. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm very curious how it will develop and, and uh, in the, in the future. And I will, I will follow you uh, very closely. Oh, thank you. So yeah, that's exactly the, the, the issue. Like as a startup founder or a manager or an, or, um, an owner or whatever, you want people to really care and you want to get, you want to be fair, but then you guys say, okay, well, I, I, I could either do a napkin and handshake agreement, but it's hard to, hard to scale, scale that, hard to get people to keep believing in that. So then you think, okay, well, I guess I got to go to a lawyer or something. And then you go to a lawyer and say, I need people to like, I don't know, ownership or something. And lawyers are like, yeah, yeah, I've got some documents around here, some stock option agreement. I'm going to fill in some blanks. Okay, $10,000, $20,000. Thanks. And then here's, okay, here, here you go. Here are your docs. And then you say, I, I, don't, I don't even know what this is. And I just spent three hours talking to you on the phone. I still don't know what it is. So I can't really advise anybody on it. And if I did, it would probably be a conflict of interest. So I certainly can't tell workers about it. So there I am putting, putting more forward my best handshake. All right, people, let's do it. And in my hand is a stack of documents, an inch thick, saying, trust me. And what? There people look at this, like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't understand what this is. Nobody can tell me what this is. And even if they do, I still can't remember what it is tomorrow. I sign it, I put it in a drawer and forget about it. Yeah. That is yeah. how we're building companies. It's insane. So that is just, that problem must be solved. And the, the, the solution is seeing is believing. And of course, the solution is, uh, is on the legal docs side, on the legal docs side to make them work in a way that's really, really good. Uh, and that's what RSU is, you know, using RSUs instead of stock options, which is complicated and drive people insane. Restricted stock units are much more straightforward. If one, one of our, uh, like if, if a listener uh, um, would, is more interested to, to know yeah. about Upstart, obviously, obviously they can check the website, yeah. but is, is, there, yeah. is there any uh, examples like for a founder, like how much share he should ga- give to, to what type of work, to, do you have examples yeah. in, in, a, in a tutorial or how does it work? Yeah, abs- absolutely. So that's, I think, one of the biggest questions people have is like, okay, well, how do I do it? What does it look like? So this is basically, let's just say, what would a use case look like? So say you have a, a website design shop or maybe you have, let's say you have a startup, an internet startup, and mm-hmm. you want to get people incentivized and psyched. Maybe you've got something that's like couch surfing. Uh, and you really need people to care about what they're creating, their coding, and how they answer the phone, how, you know, all of those things. Um, and people can optimize a thousand things a day that could go more toward the goal or just not care and treat it like a job. So, so what you do, you sign up for Upstock, and then you would create an equity pool. We recommend cre- starting small, create an equity pool of like 1%. You can always increase it. You can always just increase it 2%, 5%, 10%, 20% as, it, as the economics uh, need it, right? So, and then you'd probably have, you'd probably say, well, what what do we think the company is valued at? Uh, if you don't know, you might just as a founder pick some number, right? I don't know. I think it's worth a hundred thousand dollars because the founder said so. I think it's worth a million dollars because I went and used this website over here that tells me how much my company's worth. You know, it's early days. Of course, it's just throwing darts at a board at a, at a wall. It's just very kind of arbitrary, right? But as time goes on, of course, you'll get you might get investment or you might get other people to come in and agree, or you might have a professional service value it. But those, that would be you know, a little bit down the road. So there you are. You have 1% equity pool, 5% equity pool, something like that. And now you add people to the pool. So you say, okay, these three developers, this administrative person, this graphic designer, okay, they're all in the pool. And now you have to agree 
what the equity uh, hourly rate is, something like that. It could be, you can do it based on hours, you can do it based on whatever time you in it, it could be months, it could be whatever you want. Uh, and then you'd say, what we're trying to do here is we're trying to see what is the relative value of one person's equity versus another person's equity. Okay, so this person is a Java developer. Uh, they're $100 an hour as per salary.com or glassdoor.com. And this person over here is a Rails developer and they're $80 an hour. Uh, and this person over here is a graphic designer and they're $40 an hour. Okay, so now we're gonna put them in the pool at those rates and now they can start recording their hours and then those hours can be approved or maybe it's more like a, a monthly, automatic monthly vesting. Um, there's different ways to do it. Maybe you can also add advisors to it. You could add founders to these pools. Uh, and then so basically people start to record their time or it's automatically recorded. And those workers can see different charts and graphs and show their ownership, what they have today. And then they can imagine what it would be like in the future. What would it be like if the valuation of the company were $10 million, you know, $100 million? Uh, what would my equity maybe look like if that were to happen? And then you can also, and then so that's, that's, that's it just at the beginning. Does that make sense so far? Yes, very much. Okay. And then you can do some cool things that you can't really do in regular option plans that you can do in Upstock. Because uh, we, we, we have some game dynamics a little bit, and you can see where we're going to be going with this. Um, Upstock is, is you know, it can be, some people say it's, it's a equity with game dynamics. So let's say for the next month, you really need everybody to work as hard as possible, and you've got some kind of a deadline, maybe, for some kind of um, you know, piece of software. And you say, okay, everybody, I want to give you double or even triple the amount of equity just for this next month. You can go into the system and set from this date to this date, 3x everyone's equity. So then everybody wants to work a little bit harder to get more equity during that time. Or you could say, all right, if we sell the company, we're having an IPO or whatever, if we're going to sell the company, everybody who's here at, when the company is sold, they're going to get a 200% bonus or a 300% bonus of equity. So there you go. There, that's, it, it creates a reason for people to want to stay. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, very much. Thank you. Yeah, yeah of course. So this is... I, I spent a lot of time in my life thinking about cooperation, thinking about game dynamics. How can you create systems where everybody can win together better? And Couchsurfing is certainly an example of that. It's like Couchsurfing, you have all these people. And if you said before Couchsurfing, would you like to go stay with a stranger? Uh, stay with somebody you don't know, but somebody who's cool. And you say, yeah, I like the idea, but I'm too afraid I wouldn't do it. But after Couchsurfing, Couchsurfing is a game. It's, you have all these actors and you have rules. And then you're able to now have this thing happen where you're like, I trust it because I can see what other people said about this person. This person has all these trust indicators. So therefore the game, the rules of the game create something that nobody else could even get before. Now, now people have all of this, this new possibilities when you're creating more alignment in the system. So that's why I exist. And that's, you can see Upstock is kind of about the same thing. It's about creating cooperation and more alignment and other projects are working on as well. Casey, we, I, I, I've heard you talk about how you thought about couchsurfing and gamified it, right? And you mentioned you just you just mentioned how you kind of turned it into a game for people, and then gave them a re rewards for staying with more people, or hosting with more hosting more people, or throwing an event. Um, using that same train of thought when it comes to gamifying something, um, how did you use that and apply it to Upstock? Yeah, so. The first thing I saw in, in when I looked at the Silicon Valley stock option system, as I said, this just, it doesn't 
all the classic things in a game that, where people are winning, it, just, it looks like it's doing kind of the opposite in a lot of cases. So in a game, you want to build trust. And the more you trust, you can, you can increase people's perception or experience of trust. Well, people will go and try to do more actions in the game. They're going to believe, okay, if I take these actions, then I'll get what's, what I should, what's, what I've been promised or something like that. I'm more likely to get what I've been promised. And so when I looked at the Silicon Valley stock option system, I said, this game is a horrible one. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, the game is, um, you're going to work for me. I'm going to pay you some money and I'm going to give you a stack of documents and trust me, it's good. You're going to get something down the road. If it's all success, if we succeed, just sign it. And here we go. Ready? Trust me. Let's go. That's kind of like the game. And that really makes it come down to the, somebody's leadership. I think it actually just makes it fall back on leadership. Does this person have inspiring leadership as a founder or owner yeah. or not? But then I started thinking about it like, oh my God, there's this other problem. If this system of trust, this game is actually causing people to trust less, stock options are actually demotivating. They're not motivating. So it's like somebody says, Okay, so the rules of the game before were you just I just paid you and you and you worked for me and, and I was an inspiring leader and we got you know X units of work of 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 Y quality done and pretty good amount of work it's pretty good quality. Now I'm going to say, here's this instrument. Here are the new rules of the game, but the new rules are so complicated you can't understand them and I can't understand them. Yeah. You don't know if you're going to get anything and now it seems starts to seem like maybe you're getting ripped off. Maybe they're not looking out for your best interests. So now when I say as an owner, I say, hey, let's climb that mountain over there. It's a big mountain. Let's go. Ready? Go. Let's do it. And then you see the workers, uh, workers like looking back and forth. Maybe you're looking back. You guys are looking back and forth at each other saying, really? I don't know. I don't know if I trust this guy or this girl. And that's really what stock options can cause you know, time and time again. It, it actually um, makes le leadership less potent or impotent, you could say. Yeah. I, I know you're familiar with the location independent entrepreneurial community and, and digital nomad community. Um, what are some, do you ever have any good ideas or brilliant ideas that um, either solopreneurs or, or um, people that are, have their software business or online business could gamify in a better way that, you know, you may see these, these entrepreneurs or, or no digital nomads and be like, oh, you guys should apply this. What are, what are some good gamified tips to pick up this mentality that people could apply to their businesses? Sure. I mean, I think that there's, there's so many dimensions of what you could game. You could game the way the, the, you could game, have, you know, introduce the right game dynamics for how you relate to people you work with, for people, for how you relate to people you live with for how you relate to yourself when you're um, on the road. Uh, it just depends. I mean, game dynamics are best mostly with when, and, and they're usually, I don't know, when people think of game theory, they usually think about multiple people together. Mm -hmm. So uh, you could play a game by yourself, I suppose. That's possible, but mostly talking about <laughs> with other people. Um, I, so I really think, are you talking now, are you talking about professionally when you're, you're, you're a, location independent entrepreneur and how are you working with other maybe contractors around the world to get things done? Yeah, that would be a good example, especially with contractors. Cause you know, it's challenging sometimes, especially if you're working with contractors that are from different countries and different cultures. Sure. Um, I would say, I mean, a couple things that I'm really passionate. I'm going in my mind, I'm going right for the juggler when it comes to these kinds of game dynamics. 
I think that when you can share equity in your, in your company, that's the number one. That creates the alignment that makes your leadership more potent. Um, we already covered that a lot. So one of the other things under other game, other game dynamics, and this might come out a little bit out of left field for you. It just might seem like a weird answer, but I think that it's highly appropriate. Uh, is that of the human identity and human ego. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you, you're aware, but in positive psychology, they have this idea of something called the, the ego ledger. Okay. Uh, have you heard of that? I have heard not. That? Okay. Um, Barbara Fredrickson, John Gottman, and others in the positive psychology movement, um, the, their, their, the research shows that we have this feedback ratio with other people, positive and negative. Like, so if we're going through life and we have interact with somebody, we might experience something positive or we might experience something negative. And that goes into our ledger, our like, you know, we're just like, uh, it's like our hardware, brain hardware is like recording, yep, that was positive plus one. No, that was positive plus three. That was negative minus two. And then you add all that up in either in your life or in maybe some context of business or in a company, it could be in some context or just, you know, in the macro. And that's your feeling of how things are going. Okay. So if it's, if it's too negative, you feel depressed. That doesn't feel good. If it's too positive, that doesn't feel good either. There's like these sweet spots. So the sweet spot of positive feedback ratio is about four positive to one negative. If you're getting a plus four and then you're getting a minus one repeatedly, that will feel pretty good. That'll feel great. In fact, you'll be like thriving. But if you have a plus two for every negative one, that's going to be borderline. You're like going to be like, I don't know if I feel good or bad. I feel kind of neutral. Right. So, and if you go, if you have a negative one, if you have one to one, one positive to one negative, that's where you have utter destruction and, and things falling apart and breaking down. That's where um, if you, you have a 95% chance of divorce within a year, studied over thousands of couples over the course of 10 years. I think that was Gottman's study or a couple of studies he did. So it's really interesting to think about when you're working with other people with all these different cultures um, all these different backgrounds and you're and things are at stake things matter this feedback ratio is a game uh, ultimately where you have inputs and outputs and you have people that are feeling good and being attracted to each other mm-hmm. or being repelled from each other and when you, you want to get things done and it's across the world and it's so hard to read what people are feeling and thinking because you can't read their emotions as easily there's not you're not necessarily on you're, you're not live you're not there with them you're going over like, what does the chat say? Are they upset at me? I can't read. I don't, I don't understand. I'm not <laughs> trying to read between the lines. And then you have all these companies that just fall apart. You're like, what happened? And it's so easy because we don't want to take on the negative meanings of interactions. It's so easy to get yourself in tit for tat, downward spirals of like, it's not me, it's you. No, it's not my problem. It's your problem. Or I don't want to take on that ego death. So I'm passing it back to you like a hot potato. And that's how you see companies fail. That's how you see people being lone wolves, not able to work with other people. That's how you see people, people going into depression, um, you know, and, and trying to cover it up with, uh, you know, alcohol or something to stop yeah. that negative feeling. Uh, and then that's, but the healthy thing to do a lot of times people will do is get depressed and make a change. That's, you know, temporary depression and then changing your life to change the, the feedback loop that you're getting, change the inputs and outputs there. That can be a good thing. So depression is not always bad, but that, I don't know, that's, that's a game that comes to my mind. I'm writing a book about ego hacking right now. So that's, that's the first thing that pops into my mind, the game of feedback ratios. And Casey, uh, you mentioned you're writing a book. What's it called and when's it going to be released? Um, I don't know 
what it's going to be called. It's <laughs> okay. probably called. It's probably going to call, be called ego hacking or something like that. Okay. The name seems to. He seem, people seem to like the name. It seems to be controversial sounding a little bit. It grabs people's attention. Um, I'm hoping about a year from now. Uh, okay. I won't be writing it myself. I need and get get the help of a few friends and a team of people helping write it together. Okay. So uh, it's just a matter of the team, me and the team, getting uh, enough time together to finish it. I've done quite a bit of work already on it. You know what would be great is an app that could like track your your hack your ego, and then as you mentioned, like giving you a plus one minus one to see how <laughs> how neutral you are, how egotistical you are that day, how how <laughs> depressed you are that day. <laughs> that would be good if we could have like a feedback ratio app. I mean, it could almost be I think an app where um, it's with your friends. Like, I just had an, ex- I've, how, how's your ratio with Casey? And you're like, oh, it's like a positive three right now. That's great. <laughs> uh, and how's your ratio, and, oh, uh, you know, with, with, with John over there or Jane, it's, um, you know, negative, negative one. No, it's not doing so good right, right now. Uh, yeah. You could see, and you get some more confidence that things are good, things are okay in my world, versus um, things are not good, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested uh, to read the book, especially because uh, I have uh, uh, I'm I'm against having uh, a too big ego. But um, yeah, I think uh, um, I'm interested in your yeah. view, your other let's say view right. about having it and managing right. it and how to manage it. There's um this I do a talk sometimes about ego hacking, like how how to hack ego, and especially for founders and, and entrepreneurs and for leadership, uh, I, can, I mean, I can add a little bit more color. Maybe, maybe it would be helpful for readers. I'm not sure how much more time we have. We're okay. We're okay? Yeah, right. yeah. No problem. Okay, cool. So the, the, where this idea kind of comes from is that, yeah, we, there are these feedback ratios in life, but why do people care? Like, and, and, and I do this talk about ego hacking it so that people – people can become the people that they want to be. I think as founders, we all have these dreams, we all have these plans, but how do you make the dream or the plan come to life? It's not enough to just have a plan. You need to be the right person. You need the right person with the right leadership to turn a dream or an idea or a plan into reality. So this is, to me, it's a, it's a big question of cooperation. And I think this is something that started millions, if not billions of years ago from single cellular organisms you know, growing into multicellular organisms, growing into eventually into, you know, mammals and then people, humans and modern day humans. And then you even go beyond there to have tribes and then groups of people and then societies and, and so on. And at what thing, one thing that's happening is that, that in each of these systems, whoever is cooperating the best, they seem to, they seem to win more resources. So it's like kind of these, whether it's people or bacteria, they're, they're cooperating and or um, competing to get resources so that they can continue on. They could pass, maybe pass their genetics on. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of like the background. Imagine that's the background tapestry. And a weird, really weird thing happened um, hundreds of thousands of years ago, maybe a million years ago, maybe 50,000 years ago. I don't know. But imagine um, back then you, you, could, you could have a person, a hominid or something, saying to another person, indicating, I like you. Yeah, po- I'm giving you a positive feedback ratio. Positive. I like you. Uh-huh. Mm, good, good. And then, or you can have them saying, I don't like you. Eh, bad. Eh. And so in our brain, we remember, okay, this person 
um, positive or negative, and now you start to have the feedback ratio thing happen. But something really weird happened where suddenly somebody says feather, and like I, I look at feather, this, this feather's very beautiful, mm, I like the feather. And now I start to identify with the feather. So if somebody says, that feather, bad, I'm like, oh, it's like you just said I'm bad, right? If, uh, today we, we experience this, somebody says, hmm, you know, iPhone's bad, and you're like, whoa, I have an iPhone, what are you talking about? It's like you just <laughs> said I was bad, right? Or, yeah. you know, uh, Windows, bad, and you're like, what are you talking about? I run Windows, there's nothing wrong with Windows. It's like you just said I'm bad. So where, when did this happen? And this is so funny because we almost never talk about this phenomenon, but it affects every single day, us every single day and all the way we live. And it's really about our ego. It's about our identity. It's about external identification. It's about identifying and, and, and crossing. It's like almost like a cross link there between something that's not me and me. And if somebody says that thing's not good, I feel like they just said I'm not good. So that's, there's a background. Like that's the kind of the, when you're thinking about ego hacking, that's one of the backgrounds to kind of remember is we're going through life and it's pulling us in all these different directions all the time for positive or negative, for better or worse. And that's just, that's just the, the, this what's going on. And a lot of times you experience it as, uh, as ego being a bad thing because we don't need more notice when somebody's being egotistical, trying right. to raise their feedback ratio by making themselves look good and avoid looking bad. Right? That's kind of how we experience it. So we say it must be a bad thing. But really, it's not a bad thing. Uh, we just had some of the ways in which it's expressed might be annoying and we might not like it. <laughs> but it gets us the things that we need to in life. I mean, it, we go toward the things that make the things that make us feel good. And we go toward getting our basic needs met of human connection of, of food and shelter and all those good things. Our ego helps us get all those things. So that's good. But it comes across as bad when it's um, controlling us and having us like, if we're not feeling good about the world and our feedback ratio is low, well, then we might go to strategies like, Hey everybody, look how great I am. Yep, and uh, or, or l let me try to puff up my chest and look real cool. Uh, makes me feel better temporarily, but it doesn't solve a lot. Doesn't usually solve the question of am I okay? Is my identity or ego okay in the long term? So that's just kind of another layer you could take a look. You could think when you're thinking about ego, you're thinking about hacking, right? So in life, we are um, this, these things like affect us every day and. We don't understand how they work. Like, why don't we understand? We have a driver's manual for every part of the human body imaginable, it seems like. So Google anything in, online and find out, oh, this is how, you know, I was Googling, oh, my, my lips feel a little bit dry because I was just in the cold air recently. Oh, vitamin B6 and vitamin B5. Fix some of that, great. Solved, problem solved. But what about I'm not feeling good about the world and I'm not feeling good about myself. What do I do? Well, there's a lot of self-help out there, but it's, I don't know that it's, how well it's all working. Nobody has a map or a diagram or a schematic about how the human ego works. And I think this is the cause of so much suffering. And I think a lot of there are systems out there that'll say, hey, maybe we should just try to turn it off. So you can see those systems of detachment. There are some of those in the East. Those are an interesting strategy. Just turn it off, detach from the human ego. Don't let it affect you to practice that. I advocate for something a bit different. I advocate for knowing it, understanding it, and then using mm. it for, for good. So that's I like of, that. That's, you like that? Yeah. So imagine, imagine if there's like almost like a computer language. I, you know, if you're a programmer, of course, I think of everything like that. Things <laughs> in that terms. I should probably tone down the, uh, tone down the computer term programming terminologies. 
or, or and metaphors. Uh, maybe I will hopefully soon enough. But for me, it's like I think, how can I program myself, and how can I, um, how can I do it in a way that I can, you know, make those plans and those dreams happen. So, it, if one thing I noticed is that because of the way human ego works, we and here's like here here's kind of like the breakthrough thought I had, which I think is kind of an interesting way to look at at this at the human ego. I think that we become what other people tell us we are or who other people tell us we are for social cohesion. Imagine like we're born and we really care a lot about what other people think. And if they don't like us or if whatever they want us to do, it torments us. It tears us up inside. And, and, that's, and we're kind of like born that way. Mm-hmm. And it's a good thing too, because those people who aren't born that way, those people are called sociopaths. And there's like 8% of people that are some <laughs> amount of sociopaths. Right? Maybe there's yeah. a benefit there too. I don't know. But generally, you want most people to be born being tormented about what other people think. And then for social cohesion, what, what the side effect of that is they're becoming, they're becoming a little bit more every day of what other people want them to be, or imply that they are. And that's, that's good for the survival of our species for cooperation. But the downside is that, of course, we're tormented by it. So what does that imply? That implies that if we become who other people tell us we are, well, we should get their help. And in becoming who we want to be. So if I'm, it's like you hear the research, you become the five people you spend time with. I think it's like more you become what those five people tell you you are. It's really a more accurate way of saying it, in my opinion. So, so what would you do in this case with this knowledge? You, yeah, go ahead. I have a, the, the ego is such a mystery to me. Like, and like you mentioned, it's, a lot of people think it's just this bad, horrible thing. And also a lot of people say, no, you know, those egotistical desires are, are something that we can propel for very positive things. Like you mentioned, that's why I like that. I'm just curious if there's, there's, you gave some really valuable insight. Are, are there any other texts or resources or podcasts or, or books that people could go to, to learn more about the ego? Sure. I mean, I've had, unfortunately, there's not a great place. So all the books on Amazon that have to do with the ego, none of them really look at it in this way. There's one book called Ego is the Enemy. I, I don't think it's a good book in my opinion because it basically just kind of recites a lot of the intuitive things you'd know, like, oh, avoid the, enorm- avoid the annoying parts of ego. And here's a bunch of texts just talking about that. That to me is just avoidance. It doesn't yeah. say the ego is interesting and let's respect it. And how can we work with it so that we can get more of our needs met and we can be happier. We're less tormented. So that. There's not a lot of great material out there on it. If you put together a lot of the research, the Barbara Fredrickson, the Carol Dweck work on growth mindset stuff, there's all these like, gems that just need to be put together. That's what this book is about. Um, but if people want to check out the, the basics of the book, they can. I have a deck that they can go check out. It's um, at bit.ly, bit.ly slash ego hack. So that's bit.ly slash E-G-O-H-A-C-K. And there they can see like 30 slides with Basically, all the things I've just been talking about um, with some imagery. It's real, real simple, simplified deck. Uh, yes, I'm very, I'm very uh, uh, passionate about the ego because, to be honest with you, the ego is a very good uh, mentor. And mm. I, I, I lost quite some money because of the ego, because not listening, <laughs> listening or, or listening too much to him. So it was a very good mentor, and and. Um, yeah, I, I'm always interested uh, in. I'm, I'm looking forward to read your book. Uh, okay, good. I think uh, I think especially for there is even like uh, research for traders uh, on the stock exchange, but also hedge fund managers, 
the higher there is a there is a study the higher the testosterone the worse they perform and, I think uh, I just saw this saw this research saying something like the more emotional intelligence you have and the more you're an introvert maybe the better the better uh, you your trades perform it doesn't correlate to more testosterone yeah, yeah. 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 that's, that's why women that. are better better traders uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, that's why I'm very interested, especially from a, from an entrepreneurial and from a managing groups of people, managing your your money, your investments. I think uh, if you can harness the power uh, of managing your ego, uh, it can be very beneficial for many entrepreneurs. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely, that's been one of the things that I mean, I think it torments us every day. And it confuses us every day. So if there was a kind of a, a an under, if we, if more people could understand how it works, I think we would have a better world. I think a lot of the problems that the macroeconomic and and you know state state versus state uh, issues, you know, at the the highest levels, a lot of it has to do with people not understanding their egos and being kind of controlled by their their ego machine. Casey, uh, I, I want to talk just briefly a bit more about couchsurfing and your time with the company. Um, I know that the story kind of starts in a similar way as, as Facebook. You had an idea and then you actually hacked into the University of Iceland's directory and sent out a bunch of requests. Um, and you were a young man at this time. I mean, pretty young. You were, in, you were 19, right? That's right, 19. About. That's right. And... Um, uh, I, I know that feeling like when you're 19, you're 20, 21, 22, and you have the whole world in front of you, and then all of a sudden you find this brilliant idea and you can you get to connect uh, with people all around the world and then all these opportunities open up for you. What was it like your first few, uh, or the actually the very first couch that you surfed on? What, what, what was it like? Sure. Well, so I was probably one of the shyest people in my my high school class, I was like, I think I had long hair and I just kind of wanted to avoid talking to people. So if you can imagine what it's like for somebody that's super, super shy, computer programmer, internet person to have this idea of like, oh, it'd be so cool if I could meet other people and like hang out with them and then have fun. And I could learn about their culture and that would be amazing. Um, Cause I had traveled, but I saw, all I saw was like, okay, there's a statue, click, take picture and keep walking. And then I'd see cool people walking down the road, but could I talk to them? Oh, no, of course not. That would be completely impossible for someone like me. So to um, get a cheap ticket to Iceland and then say, uh, boy, I wish I could stay with somebody there. In fact, I, I had the idea for couch surfing, but I wasn't sure how it needed to work. And I said, well, what if I would, I didn't think of it as an MVP, but I said, well, what if I could run a test and um, mail some, email some people? Stumble across the University of Iceland student directory, and I was able to type in Bjork and find a bunch of Bjork Stephen's daughters or whatever, and then get out 1,500 names and email addresses, put them in the database, write an email merge by basically sending them a, a, a mini profile of myself saying, hey, I'm Casey, I want to come to Iceland and hang out. And if we were to hang out, what would you do? So I sent that out, and I, uh, within the next day, I had a, between 50 and 100 people, basically like 7% of the people I messaged, said, yeah, come, on, come to Iceland and hang out. Let's do some fun stuff. So then I almost like analysis paralysis, I ended up hanging out with this really cool person. Um, she was an R&B singer, and she had friends. And apparently, they're all models. I didn't find out until I got there. And <laughs> uh, followed her around, just like with eyes, just like, you know, like doe eyes, just huge eyes, like, whoa, I'm going, I'm, I'm cool. Like, I'm, I'm hanging out with the cool people. And they're 
taking me around Reykjavik and taking me to these VIP after places and you know the, the sun doesn't set because it's like close to summer there and I'm just wow mind blown this is incredible and I think I, 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 at, at the moment I was on the plane leaving I said I need to travel like this every time so he said how is it like uh, completely mind heart and soul uh, blowing it just completely changed me <laughs> and then you came back and, and it was a couple of years before you kind of actually launched a platform um, but then you developed that into a platform with a 10 to estimated with 10 to 15 million people right that's right yeah probably about 20 million people have 20, signed okay. up for couchsurfing yeah, yeah over the yeah. years at least and it's still go still going today. Just a couple of years ago, I was in Barcelona and I was going to couchsurfing meetups to to meet other travelers, and it was it was quite fun. What what would you say is the number one lesson you took away from your experience with couchsurfing? Oh gosh, I mean, there's so many lessons. I mean, if ever there was something I got had lessons from in life, couchsurfing would be it uh, at every <laughs> level. No, it's almost like if I had to devise a a um, course curriculum. They would last like eight or 10 years and have every possible learning experience back to back as fast as possible. That's what couchsurfing is yeah. for me. Um, okay. So I think, and I'm, I don't, I mean, uh, some that jump into my mind are um, that, that you can, I mean, the game, game dynamics, really understanding they're, they're all, these, all these different people. They're all different. They all have different perspectives because of what the way they grew up. And that when I go and spend time with somebody who's different than me, it becomes so powerfully clear what our differences are. And it's so abstract that it, it's hard to judge them. It's easier to just be like, oh, they're different. And that's, it, it starts to create that kind of diversity mindset. And I think diversity mindset is one of the most important things that somebody can have. I've, I started off in life where I had a kind of a more linear mindset or a fixed mindset or something. I literally couldn't hold two things that were, that were, you know, contradictory in my mind as true at the same time. Like in my mind, my, my, it was like my memory subsystem at the lowest level could literally only save one of those things, the correct one. So everything in life, it was like, is this correct or not? Does this go with my model or not? And that was my whole lens. And it was like culture thing. And then having this epiphany on a beach in Northern California where I saw these sandpipers steering in the waves some being close to the waves, some being far away, and then realizing they're kind of staying in their position, some being more liberal and some being more conservative. Well, that's good for the species. A big wave comes, knocks out some of the ones that are more liberal, and you have those ones that are more conservative there. You know, they make sure those genes go on, and then, you know, but then at times of, um, you know, other times, you have the ones that are a bit more liberal in the waves, you're getting extra fish and maybe thriving or something. So I started to think, wow, they, it's, you need all of those people or all of those birds believing in their spot like yes this is the best place to be and i you need to really feel it in your heart and soul for the whole system to work but it really started that really just struck me that i remember that day i think i was 20 and i started thinking i need to have a diversity mindset instead of looking at everything as right and wrong if i can reprogram my brain and my low level memory to start programming like oh there are multiple things that could coexist at the same time and they could be contradictory but that's okay I think that was my biggest lesson. As you told me before, let's say you you said that it's a was a non-profit uh, adventure, and right. you had people helping you, some volunteers. You did a lot of yourself, some donations. Um, like, 
you didn't make like a lot of money out of it, but what did you, what was the, the top three things that you got out of it? Top three things that I personally got out of it? Yes. Just like if, if uh -huh. a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs, they always focus, let's say on, on, uh, on, uh, on making money actually, and, or, or, or focusing on their own growth. And this mm. is an amazing example of not how to focus only on your own uh, adventure, on money-making adventure at least. And mm. one of my mentors, you know, I, told, I asked him as a, as a joke, I asked him, what, if you would have 1,000 euro, $1,000, what would you, where would you invest it? And he said, literally, he said, I will take half of it and I'll give it for, uh, for charity or I'll start something charitable. Um, now, I don't want to say that start surfing was only charitable, but it does have this, this social uh, element. Yeah, it definitely has social roots, roots, uh, the uh, deep roots in social, um, in social benefit. Social yes, and I think yeah. it's, it's a, it yeah. could be a part, let's say, of any every uh, business. Sure. I get it. Yeah, I think I can easily say. I mean, I say a bunch of different things about that. You said you said three things. So some things that come to my mind are, you know, going from being a very shy person. I also was kind of like programmed to wanting to be valuable. I wanted to be somebody who's helping the world. And being somebody who like from a small town, feeling very powerless to help the world. What would I, what could I do as a shy person even to help the world? I've always wanted to, but I, and then going and creating this, this thing where it's like getting people together, it changes their life because they get to have all these perspectives and they get to save money and go do it more. And then getting back from that, people say, ah, oh, that was good. Thank you. Keep doing that. I, it really made a difference. That was number one. It made me go from being somebody who is super shy, somebody getting, who's getting more confidence, somebody who's feeling appreciated, um, and then a feeling like I, I could do this. It gave me more energy to keep, to keep going and keep trying to create more and see what other impact I could have. Uh, you know, stay up late at night programming, just keep programming and programming in the dark, even if I'm not having those experiences all myself, but other people are, and that gives me, it gives me meaning. So um, knowing that there, is, that there is a benefit there, was giving me a lot of meaning. I say that's number number one. Um, I think other other than that, I think that uh, learning how to be an entrepreneur, how to think about solving problems, and then feeling like I could share that with other people and teach other people, that was a huge 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 um, benefit, I guess, because I felt like I now I feel like I could take on any problem and could, you know hopefully do an okay job, if not a great job, in solving it. So yeah, that did, did, really did the problem. trust affect me? Uh, a lot of couchsurfing is, is based on trust. Uh, did uh, mm -hmm. did your trust in society and humanity like grow because? Mm. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh my God, huge! So it, it went from feeling like the world's a big scary place. Um, you know, I, I traveled around the country, and that made me have a. I drove around the country, and that made me feel a little bit more like okay, this country maybe a, I can understand this country. But anywhere else, I wanted to see like big, far away, inaccessible, scary. And after couchsurfing for a couple of years, and after hearing all the all, all of the other couchsurfing stories that people had, I I was a very changed person. I went from feeling that it's a scary place to the world is a loving place. I could get off a plane randomly in any place in the world, and I'd be fine. People would take care of me. People love me. Things are good. Very different outlook in just a couple of years. Casey. Um I, I want to wrap up with a question about influence. So now we're interviewing a hundred major influencers from around the world. And we just want to ask about your 
feelings, uh, the, the influence that you got from building the platform of couch surfing and now running up stock, um, what are some ways, and you talked about, you know, wanting to, um, create a different environment for businesses and employees to work together to give them, you know, profit sharing. Um, what are some other ways that you're using the, maybe even on a, like a daily basis or a micro level of influence, uh, using your influence to create a better world? Um, you said, so just make sure I understand this question correctly. What are the micro ways in which? Yeah. So small ways. Yeah. Yeah. Small ways from the influence that you have. Okay. Um, I think when I, when I think of the small ways, I think of kind of interpersonal, like in just the people I'm interacting with every day, whether it's on a project or whether it's my family or my friends, um, really see, seeing that I can say an infinite, infinite number of positive or negative things about anybody and that the feedback ratio really matters. Like if you have too, neg- too low of a feedback ratio, you literally can't hear feedback. So always remembering to give people enough positive feedback. Like you know, I might think things, uh, and I think on life we go through thinking nice things about people, but we just don't say it. So that energy, when you can say, I appreciate this about you. Thank you for doing that, being that, bringing that into the world, whatever. The more, more creative and the more deep and meaningful, the better, of course. Sharing that every moment allows you to, you know, when something's challenging, to share that as well. Because you've upped the feedback ratio. Now people can actually hear you. If they have above two to one, they can actually hear your thing versus the body wanting to, like, block and be like, no, I don't hear you. I, I don't know what you're saying. It's not me. It's you. Uh, so that I think is number one. Just really appreciating people in every at every moment. Um, I think that's number one. I, I mean, I could keep going, but is what, what, are, what are your thoughts about that? I think that's great. I think that's that's a perfect way to wrap everything up. Um, Casey, I want to thank you sincerely for coming on the show. I think um, couch surfing has been known as one of the largest, probably the largest trust experiments in the history of the world. And I know you're propelling that into upstock into your future uh, ventures that you go into. I, I think it has done an amazing job to help unify the world um, in a way that I think maybe only travelers know, really know, because the world could be a big bag of scary place beforehand. And when people open their doors to you and welcome you into their homes, it changes a lot and opportunities open up. And so I definitely want to express appreci- appreciation for doing that um, and just say thanks. Thanks for coming on the show. If the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you have going on, where's the best place they can do that at? Best place would be go to caseyfenton.com, C-A-S-E-Y-F-E-N-T-O-N.com. And you can sign up for my email list. You can see uh, links to my current projects. Um, or you could go to upstock.io and uh, you know uh, uh, subscribe to the newsletter. Um, and, of course, if you want to see more, see more about Couchsurfing, it's always couchsurfing.com. Um, but, there's, yeah, there's happy to... Uh, Happy to um, also chat with folks one-on-one if anybody wants to Facebook message me. I'm happy to chat there. Um, I'm, I, I have a, a code, a, this like little short code program built into an iPhone so I can communicate with like two or 300 people a day. So I'm happy to spend time communicating with entrepreneurs around the world and doing everything I can to, um, to lend a hand where I can. Appreciate it, Casey. Again, thanks again for coming on the show. And uh, we're going to wrap up. Listeners, thank you guys for tuning in once again. And we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. 
Hey listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.